Amen. We've been talking about spiritual gifts the last couple weeks, and today we're going to talk about understanding the gift of prophecy. And so I have some young people here who are going to help us read the scripture today, so why don't you all uh, get up on the podium, amen, to read for us. And I'm going to ask that people will stand to receive the reading and uh, we got four readers, and they'll each be reading a section. And when the fourth person is done, it ends at verse 12. Then we together, as a church, will read together the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13 and the first verse of 1 Corinthians 14. So we'll be reading that together. But I'm going to ask our young people to lead us off right into those mics, and let's hear what the Lord is saying to his church. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, but cannot fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But where completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, and I thought like a child. When I, when, child, when I was raised like a child. When I became a man, I put my childhood behind me. For I know, for now I see only a reflection in a mirror. Then I shall see face to face. Now I know part when I shall know fully, when as I am fully known. Now let's read together those last two verses. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Thank you, young people. And let's pray before you be seated. Father God, we pray that you will speak your word to our hearts by your spirit for your glory at this time. Have your way and and let us make much of Jesus in this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Scripture is perfect. And it is complete and it gives us everything God wanted us to have and to know. Uh, in his word, the Bible, and it is not a mistake or an anomaly that God, in his goodness, 
in the longest treatise in the Bible on spiritual gifts stops right in the middle of that treatise, right in the middle of dealing with this subject to put a whole chapter in the middle of it on love. It's not a mistake. It's not uh, something that uh, just happened to happen that way. Um, We have 1 Corinthians 13, often known as the love chapter right there. And what God is communicating to us uh, here is profound. He's saying that the use of spiritual gifts, no matter how powerful they might be, if they are not rooted and grounded in the love of God, they are nothing. In fact, they're worse than nothing. They can actually lead people away from God if they're not used in the manner that God prescribes. In verses 4 through 7, Paul walks through what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. doesn't boast. It is not proud. Doesn't dis, it's not dishonest. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. He goes on. He tells us what love actually is. Love doesn't abuse someone else or manipulate someone else and then say, but I'm doing this for love. It doesn't do that. It doesn't envy someone else and then call it love. It doesn't keep a record of what someone else has done to me, but say, I'm doing this in love. He tells us what it looks like. It it protects the other person. It it trusts the other person. It loves and cares to see the very best for the other person. And he says in this passage, it never gives up. Love perseveres. Brothers and sisters, with what God has on our plate as a church and what God has on each of your plates as an individual, if we are going to move ahead in what God has for it, it's, it's going to be less about how gifted we are, and it's going to be more about how dedicated we are to this kind of love. But it is in this kind of love that God calls us to know about and then to exercise His gifts in such a way that his love is made more perfect. 14.1 says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Why? So that we might love better. So that Jesus might be seen more clearly through his gathered people. And so today... I'm going to look at four things briefly. This is important for us to look at these four things if you go to the next slide. Um, Number one, what the gift of prophecy actually is. Number two, how the gift of prophecy actually works. Then the analogy of prophecy and teaching. And finally, what it means and how the Bible tells us to test prophetic words. And so let's look at these one at a time and prayerfully I won't be before you all that long. 
So first of all, what the gift of prophecy actually is. Uh, many times people think of prophecy, yes, I heard about that. That's in 1 Corinthians 12. I know that from 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians uh, 14, even 13. But, you know, it's just a little bit in a couple places in the New Testament. It's not there very much, but that's not true. Prophecy is mentioned all throughout the New Testament. In all of the Gospels, there's much talk about prophecy. If you ever read through the book of Acts, you see it all over the place there. We've already said 1 Corinthians, it's there. It's in the book of Romans. It's in uh, Ephesians. It's in 1 Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, 1 Peter, Jude, and in the book of Revelation. It's all over the place in the New Testament. I counted up the, the, the times that... The New Testament refers to prophets or prophecy, and I counted 198 times in the New Testament. It's not some minuscule little thing, uh, 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 just a secondary matter that that isn't much in there. It's all over the place. Just by way of comparison, the Lord's Supper is mentioned four times in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in 1 Corinthians. That doesn't mean it's not important. I'm not trying to draw that comparison, but what I am saying is this is in there, it's all over there, and so it's something we ought to understand. So the closest we actually get to a definition uh, in the Scripture is in 1 Corinthians 14.3, and this is what I would call a functional definition. In other words, what is the effect of this? And 1 Corinthians 14.3, it's up on the board, puts it this way, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So it gives three different effects that uh, are manifested through this gift. The first one is strengthening. The word there is oikodome in in the Greek. This word means building up. You've heard a lot about that term over the last couple of weeks. It is building up. It's a construction term. Figuratively, it means strengthening someone spiritually, edifying them, building them up in their relationship with God. This is one of the uses of a prophetic word. Secondly, it means encouraging. These are all very related, but but they also have different nuances. This is the act of emboldening another person in their belief or in the course of action. It's exhortation is another way that it is sometimes referred to. A couple weeks ago, I was at a, a, a gathering with uh, about probably about 30 uh, pastors and Christian leaders around town, and at one point, Uh, They had us come together uh, one-on-one with people and just begin to pray for each other. And I got what I would consider a prophetic word from the person who that I was paired up with. um, And it was a word specifically of this type in encouraging me to boldly move forward in a place where I was dealing with my own fears and insecurities. And as God gave me this word through this person, 
I was encouraged. I was strengthened. And I, I, I felt that I know, okay, God, you give me what I need to move forward here. Thirdly, there is the idea of comfort. Uh, that which serves as encouragement to one who may be depressed, who may be grieving, who is seriously struggling or, or wavering in some way. So this is comfort. This is consolation. This is a word that comes. I, I love where the scripture says through Isaiah, uh, and it's, it's prophesying about the Lord who will come. He says that, that, that he won't put out a flickering wick. That a, a bruised reed, he won't break it. He'll make that wick uh, come to its full flame. He'll take that bruised reed and he will make it strong. This is a word of comfort to strengthen those who are weak. Now, here's a definition that I have for prophecy. Prophecy is the human communication of a divine revelation for the purpose of strengthening God's people. So as we walk through this, we'll talk about these very interesting, these two elements. There is a human side and there is a divine side that come together in understanding what the Bible has to say about a prophetic word. I think what Sam Storms has to say about this is very important. If you go to the next slide, he puts it this way. He says, prophecy is not based on a hunch or a supposition, an inference, an educated guess, or even sanctified wisdom. Prophecy is not based on personal insight, intuition, or illumination. Prophecy is the divine report, it is the human report of a divine revelation. So, so it starts in the mind and in the love of God. It starts with something that God actually reveals. Let, let me tell you what prophecy is not. This past week, I was waiting at the bus stop in my neighborhood. I love the fact that the J bus takes 11 minutes from my house to right here. Amen. Drops me off at C and the Boulevard. It's great. So um, I'm waiting at the bus stop, and uh, a man I'd never seen before, he's probably a few years younger than me, uh, but he kind of is walking up to the bus stop and walk past it, and we connect with each other, or kind of our eyes connect, and we do that guy thing where you kind of look at each other and say, what's up, what's up, you know? Kind of look at each other on the eye, what's up? Yeah, what's up with you? And, and he keeps it moving, but then he turns back and he said, man, he said, you thick. You, you should be on the, on the Eagles. I'm like, okay, because like, I'm thick. Now, if that's a prophetic word, that's a false prophecy, y'all. I said, brother, they need some help. They don't need me. That's not a prophetic word. But, but what actually is it? You can hit the next slide. So uh, how does this actually work. So, so based on uh, this definition, how 
the gift of prophecy actually works is what, what I want to look at. Uh, based on this definition that we have, there's four levels of this. Number one, first of all, we talked about it, receiving a revelation. That's something that God gives a person. It's not just illumination. It's not just understanding things on a, a deeper level. It's something that God gives. But secondly, we interpret that revel- revelation. So uh, there's an interpretive part of this. Number two, very often, there or number three, there is the application of that. So I'm interpreting something, and now I'm asking, how does that specifically apply to this person, this situation? What is God doing here? And then fourthly, there is the communication of that revelation. So all of these things are going on as we're looking at at prophecy and how it actually works. So I want to look for just a second at this idea in 1 Corinthians 14.30 for a minute. And in 1 Corinthians 14.30, the scripture says it this way. um, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. This is in the section towards the end of 1 Corinthians 14. It's talking about how prophecy works in a gathering of God's people. But I really want to spend time looking at that word that is used. A lot of people want to use a different word. They're not uh, comfortable with the word revelation, and I understand that. But y'all, I just want to use the word that the Bible uses. I don't have a better word than the word that God uses for something. Even if I don't fully understand it, so I want to use the word that God uses. And that word in the Greek is apocalypto, is, is the word that is translated as revelation there. And, and it means to cause something to be fully known, revealed, disclosed, or brought to light. It has the idea of uncovering something. So if, if my head is covered and uh, I, I was to take the covering off my head, that would use that word apocalypto. It would be revelation. It's uncovering what you can't see. Now you can see. That's the idea of this word. But it's often used in Scripture, as it is in this passage here, to refer to a divine revelation of certain transcendent secrets. In other words, revelation is God intervening to let someone know something that they otherwise could not have known. So God is revealing something. God is letting someone know something that they otherwise could not have known. And that comes in many ways and in many forms. Um, Often... God gives that type of revelation through some sort of vision, something that someone sees. It could be uh, through a, a dream. It could be through just a phrase or a word that, that he gives someone. Um, the important thing to know is that whatever form that comes in, 
if it's genuine prophecy, it actually is something that came from God and not as a result of eating too many tacos last night. It's something that came from God. Now, we, we can get all kind of revelations, A, to the men, that don't necessarily come from God. And, and part of this, and, and I'll talk a little bit about this today, but in whatever spiritual gift you have, there is room to grow in a gift. You don't ever start with a gift and have the whole thing and be mature in walking in it, but you grow in it. Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 6 talks about growing in a prophetic gift, and it says, it says if your gift is prophecy, that you, you live that out according to your faith. And so it talks about growing in using a gift in order to honor God. And so prophecy starts with the idea of this divine revelation, but from there the revelation is, it is interpreted, it is applied, and finally it's communicated. In other words, subsequent to the actual revelation itself, there are three other steps that can be subject to human error. Amen? They're subject to human error. This is why... People should not say, if they believe they have a prophetic word, we should not start it by saying, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> I'm serious about that. In many places, that, that is the preferred way of doing it. Many of you have been in those situations. I've been in those situations. And I'm not saying that the people mean it the wrong way or that they're, they're trying to do something manipulating or, or whatever. I just believe that based on what I understand of this gift, we should not say that. Something like, I believe the Lord is saying this, that leaves it open to other people to, to make that uh, supposition and, and to, to judge whether or not that is actually true is much more helpful. So, so I want to look at now the analogy of prophecy and teaching. This is something that I don't think that people think much about. The analogy of prophecy and teaching. So we've, devi we, we've defined prophecy as a new revelation uh, from God to the mind of a prophet and that the, the God communicates something to the prophet's mind that otherwise wouldn't be known. And, and, and that revelation comes from God. That's what can scare people, and, and maybe there, there could be many people here as well who take a cessationist view. We, brothers and sisters, in, in the, the spirit of the whole Bible, in the spirit of the Holy Ghost, and in the spirit of 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 13, uh, we can be on different sides of this fence and call to love one another. Amen? But I think what freaks a lot of people out, if I can say it this way, on this kind of thing, is the idea of another revelation that, that competes with Scripture. What I want you to see is that this revelation is not competing with the Bible. This is not the idea of writing the 67th book of Scripture or giving you some authoritative uh, word that must be obeyed or you are out of step with the Lord. 
What I want to say is what's up there right now. We should not link spoken prophetic words to the writing of Scripture, but we should link them to the teaching of Scripture. Here's how I want you to see this. Imagine that there are two pastors, two godly, respected, prayerful, studying the Bible pastors who are getting ready to give a message on the book of Revelation chapter 20. And both of these pastors uh, have studied well. They've studied in the original languages. Both of these pastors have been on their knees before God, praying and seeking the Holy Spirit for insight and for guidance. Both of these pastors are, are doing everything in their power to know what the Scripture is saying, but they come to two different conclusions. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 3, the Scripture talks about this thousand-year reign of, of Jesus Christ. And one of them looks at that and says, well, it must be that he comes uh, in his second coming or his first and a half coming, and he reigns for a thousand years and sets up a millennial kingdom on the earth. Why? Well, how do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says. And so he is a person that looks at the literal nature of that thousand-year reign. Another godly, well-studied, and, and prayed-up pastor looks at that same passage and says, well, this is in the genre of apocalyptic in the book of Revelation that is filled all over the place with, with metaphors and, and with uh, symbols. And so I look at that millennial reign and I see it not as a literal 1,000-year reign, but I'm looking at that and I am seeing that as a, as a metaphor, as a symbol that God is using for what God is doing during the church age. My question today is not to figure out which pastor's right because there are many other views of that we could talk about as well. But my question is, what's going on here? Turn, turn to the next slide. What I want to look at is in this illustration, and you can hit the first one here, um, what is going on here? First of all, number one, the differing interpretations of the revelation don't invalidate the perfection of the revelation itself. So the revelation came from God. It's a perfect revelation, but they came to different conclusions. Brothers and sisters, we've got a whole mess of godly people in this room right now who have studied the scripture and have come to different conclusions on a number of things. And if you're really studying the scripture yourself, you don't agree with what you thought five years ago or ten years ago on some things because you're growing in your understanding, I hope so, on certain things. And so this isn't a question that there was something wrong with the revelation, but it's, it's, it's saying something else. Hit the next one. It's saying this, the different interpretations reveal the imperfections of those trying to understand and apply the revelation. There's nothing wrong with the revelation from Scripture, but for all of us, we are limited in our understanding and in our insight, even with all the study and prayer that we have. 
And then thirdly, the last thing here, the teaching and preaching should always be judged by whether they are in line with the Scripture. wish I could tell you, you really need to check out the Scripture when you listen to someone online or when you read a, a commentary or a book, but the truth of the matter is you need to check me out all the time. Amen? Is he in the Word? Is, is, is what he's saying coming uh, from the Bible? And you can disagree with me on things, but that doesn't necessarily make, I hope it doesn't make me a heretic. Amen? Even on this subject, you may not agree with what I'm saying. That doesn't mean that I'm a heretic. It means that we have a disagreement on a secondary or tertiary uh, 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 doctrine of the Scripture. Amen? So there's value in teaching, in preaching, in books that write about the Scripture, even if they are not perfect in their interpretation. There's great value in those things. Paul commends the Berean saints in Acts chapter 17 because not only did they listen to him, but they checked out what he was saying. The apostle Paul, he says, I commend you because you're checking out what I am saying by what the Bible says. He's the apostle. I'm I'm not the apostle, y'all. I'm just Larry in Jesus' name. So trying to do the right thing here. So we can get it wrong about things. Here's, here's another thing that, that, that Storm says. Sam Storm says this. The, the, the prophet may perceive imperfectly. Uh, he may understand imperfectly. And as a result, he may communicate imperfectly. From Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. This is similar to preaching and teaching, right? So, so do you see this comparison Preaching and teaching and prophecy, I'm going to get to that quote in a second, are both based on a revelation that God gives, but they're subject to the imperfections of human beings. So let me go to this statement. The perfection of the revelation does not guarantee the perfection of the understanding or communication of that revelation. And this is why prophecies need to be tested, weighed, or judged. It's important that we do that. Let me give you an example even from the life of New Life Church. Some of y'all may not even know this. Some of you were here with us when we did our fasting at the beginning of this year. And we had on a Friday night at the end of the fast a praise and worship service. How many of you were here? You remember that? Amen. A bunch of you were here. Uh, at the very end of that service, we heard, and, and Pastor Tim didn't say, I have a prophetic word for you. He did not say that. What he did was he shared a vision that he believed God had given him. And he shared what that vision was, and then he shared what that meant to him, and how he believed that applied to our church. I'm not going to go through what that is, but it wasn't someone standing up saying, Thus saith the Lord, this is what God is doing. But it was a humble servant of God saying, As we were in prayer and as we were praying, I saw this vision. And he also talked about how 
uh, in, in that service how God had spoken through some other people and kind of confirmed a couple of things that he was thinking about in that. And so we saw uh, that was actually an example, I believe, of a prophetic word to our congregation. Um, God is at work. His word, the Bible, is the one true, final, and authoritative, flawless word of God, and nothing else, not a theology book, not a great sermon, not a confession or a catechism, not a prophetic word or anything else compares to the final and flawless word of God, the Bible. There are, but there are many manifestations of God giving a word that are not recorded in Scripture. And that is on purpose by God. So, I want you to see then, or ask this question, if a prophetic word isn't flawless, it's subject to error, the question is, then what good is it? I would say the same thing about teaching and preaching. Right? I don't claim to be flawless or perfect in my preaching. I can't even... Uh, recite the Lord's Prayer before the con- congregation. <laughs> I show enough ain't flawless. But if it's not perfect, if we don't know, what good is it? So let's let's look at that. Testing the prophetic word. This is uh, getting ready to close here. I want to look at just a few things. First Thessalonians 19, 5, 19 through 22 says this way. Don't, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Four things I want you to see about that. Number one, it says we're instructed to quench, not to quench the spirit. The word quench there means to extinguish something, as in a fire. You take water and you pour it on the fire in order to quench the fire. The idea is that it it, it causes something of fervent activity to cease. And Paul warns believers, don't do that to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And he says this in a very particular way, put up number two. He says, don't treat prophecies with contempt. The idea you can see in these verses, he is uh, 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 likening quenching the Spirit to uh, to treating prophecies with contempt. He says, when you treat prophecy or the word of prophecy with contempt, and contempt simply means something that is below you, something that is beneath your consideration, something that you consider as worthless. He says, when you treat prophetic words like that, you are quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't do it. Number three. He says we're called to test prophecies. He says, but test them all. The word there for test means to make a critical examination of something and determine the genuineness of it, to put it to test, to examine it closely. It it means to, to try our best to learn the genuineness of something by examining it uh, through testing and often through actual 
use. So, so what does that mean in terms of a prophetic word? The first test is, does it line up with the Bible? If it don't line up with the Bible, then you know that word didn't come from God. So if I'm telling a married man, brother, I think the Lord has a wife for you. And it ain't his current wife. That word did not come from the Lord. Amen. That's just not true. So, so that's an easy test in one sense that if it doesn't line up with the word now, but, but it's not that easy because you've got to know the word. You've got to understand the word. This is why if we simply rely on prophetic words and are not people of the word of God, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. We need to be mature and growing in our understanding of the word of God itself. So we're called to test the word. Let me say this more than just the Bible itself, but does it pass the mature smell test? (laughs) Because I've heard prophetic words and, and sometimes God will blow your mind and it doesn't make sense and it can come from God, but sometimes it's just foolishness, right? So if, if I come to someone and I say, um, I believe the Lord has a word for you and there's something about this woman, Clarice, who you're close to and is involved in your life. Tell me about Clarice. And you say, I don't know nobody named Clarice then don't listen to what I have to say next. Amen? Now, sometimes God will give a word like that, and it will connect. It will connect. There could be something to it, but sometimes it doesn't connect at all. And there's other ways. This is why it's tested by people who are mature in their understanding of the Scripture. Last thing here, number four. Some prophecies are judged to be genuine or good, and others are not. So we look at, is this a genuine word from the Lord or not? Now, I want to just, last scripture I want to look at is 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Diakrino is the Greek word there, to evaluate by paying careful attention to something, making a judgment on the basis of careful and detailed information A prophetic word should be evaluated. So we need mature and maturing believers to evaluate that word. Is that from the Lord? So what I want you to see, regardless of your personal experience, God's word has built-in guardrails for us that guard against foolishness in the name of prophecy. They're there. There's so much that needs to be talked, and and I'm going to finish this up right now. But what do we need to know from all of this? Let me just kind of wrap it up. Prophecy is a good gift from God that is to be used in a way that manifests the love of God by building up and strengthening His people. Used legitimately, it always communicates and manifests God's love among his people, even through broken and flawed vessels. That is every one of us. 
It's one of God's good gifts that reveals that he is still speaking to and through his people. In John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus put it this way, My sheep hear my voice. They listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. God is a speaking God. We need to be aware that prophecy is subject to errors and mistakes, just like teaching and preaching. And so those giving prophecy should be clothed in humility and never in pride. When we understand that, we understand that prophecy has an important place in building us up. So next week, we're going to conclude this series, and Pastor Tim uh, will conclude the series. He gets to talk to us about more practical teaching on what it means to cultivate and use spiritual gifts. And as I said, we'll also have a Q&A time after service downstairs for those of you who have questions and want to know more next week. But let us continue as a body to grow in love for one another. 1 Corinthians 14.1 To love one another. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. He says, especially prophecy. Why? So that we can build one another up in the love of God. Let me pray, and then we'll get ready for communion. Father God, we thank you this day that you have shown yourself and show yourself to be a good, great, and perfect God in every way. Teach us, Lord God, to grow in you, to grow more mature in you. And Lord, then, then use every one of your gifts that you give us as a church as tools in order to manifest your love in even greater ways. Have your way among us. And Lord, even now, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, let us remember the greatness of your love. Have your way in these things, we pray, in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, who is the Christ.